Welcome back to the Women of the Word podcast. As you learn to study the Bible better and to know God more deeply, I wanted to share a new podcast for your kids to help them grow in their love of God and knowledge of his word called the Biggest Story Podcast from Crossway. Each week, your kids will hear a story from the Bible, be introduced to verses to memorize, and hear how the whole story of scripture points to the gospel. Subscribe today by following the link in the show notes. Hi again, welcome back to the final episode of the Women of the Word podcast. I'm Lauren Susanto here with Jen Wilkin. And Jen, I'm really excited for our conversation today. We've covered a lot of ground these past few weeks. Um, we started with the importance of Bible literacy, why it matters, um, how we can grow in that. From there, we talked about overcoming some common barriers to Bible study. We also talked about some unhelpful practices or barriers to Bible study. And then we walked through the Bible study process, what it looks like to comprehend, do comprehension, interpretation, application. We gave some tools that people can use to enhance their Bible study experience, and then some tips to teach the Bible. I mean, that's that's a lot of ground. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So while all of that information is so good and so helpful, I think it's important to end our time with just a reminder of the big picture to zoom out a little bit and remind people why we do what we do. Why is it important to talk about Bible study like we have been? Why do we spend so much time talking about this? Yeah, I think in an age where people are deconstructing, I think in an age where people are wondering why they can't just feel what they know that they ought to feel for uh, the God who has saved them, that there's never been a better time for us to remember that we have a book that helps shape the way that we love and that helps us know not just how to love God the way that we should, but also how to love each other the way that we should. And so, you know, we've talked earlier on about how the Bible is a book about God, how we want to read it as such so that our love for him can increase. We do want that. We also understand that as our love for him increases, we're going to, by definition, increase in our love for those who are made in his image. So when you look around and you ask, why are my relationships not where they should be? Or not just my relationship with my heavenly father, but my relationship with those who he's placed me in proximity with. All of these things that we're talking about, they may seem like an academic exercise, but when the spirit lives in us and is doing his living and active work through his word, we should expect to see that our relationships with God and with others begin to come into alignment with the way they were always supposed to be. I think it can be tempting if, as we give people principles mm -hmm. and processes and things to keep in mind that we go to our Bible studies mm -hmm. as just something to check off the list. Yeah. I need to make sure my mind's in the right place. I right. need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do that to have a really helpful, productive mm -hmm. Bible study time. Mm -hmm. So what what would you say to, to that? Or how do we guard against Bible study just becoming a set of things to check off the list? Yeah, it's not just another activity on your to-do list. And it's not about just self-improvement, right? Or about yeah. being a good person. The thing that studying the Bible does for us is when we're looking at it from start to finish, when we're trying to take in the whole story, even if we're doing it a chunk at a time, as we begin to realize that when we say, and I hear Christians say this all the time, uh, I want to look like Jesus. You know, I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We don't necessarily have a formed thought process about how that actually happens. But the Bible is telling us that the word is living and active. It's a sharp two-edged sword and it divides us. Like it actually becomes the implement by which we are conformed to the image of Christ. So 
that might sound great. You know, oh, I want to know the scriptures so that I can become uh, like Christ. But I think the other piece that I've learned to appreciate through the years is that it's not just that we are becoming like Christ. It's that in becoming like Christ, we begin to be reformed into who we were intended to be all along. Like it's who we were supposed to be in the garden. It's who we were that we lost at the fall. It's who will one day be perfectly in the new Jerusalem. And what we're offered through our contact with the scriptures as we are drawn into deeper relationship with the Lord is that we begin to live into that future reality. We begin to be fully human the way we were designed to be through contact with the living and active word through the work of the spirit. And that's pretty amazing. Like it never occurs to us, I think, that the reason that our lives are sort of stumbling along is because sin feels more natural than holiness. And that roadmap to holiness is is here for us. And we haven't availed ourselves of it to the extent that we could. And that what you want is for this book to be shaping you over time so that holiness feels more natural than sin, because that's going to be our eternal reality is to live in a state of holiness. You were talking there about this eternal reality. Mm -hmm. How can we understand our relationship with the Bible into this eternal reality that will be ours one day? Yeah, so the thing about the Bible is, is it exists between two covers. So there's only a certain number of words that's in here, right? Yeah, right. And right. Um, I'm, I don't think any of us has to worry that in this lifetime, we're going to exhaust what we find between Genesis and Revelation in here. There will be plenty to keep us busy. In fact, I think most of us would acknowledge that we will go to our graves or the Lord will return and we will yeah. be like, oh, I'm not done yet. Right. I'm not done yet, right? Yes. Um, and yet what we can know is that this book only contains part of what is true about an infinite God. This is a finite number of words and the God that we worship is infinite. So we should expect that, yes, in this lifetime, we will only make a beginning at learning the infinite excellencies of who God is. But good news, eternity means that we won't be constrained by time to continue to see that unfold. So there are a lot of things that we will stop doing in the new heavens and the new earth. We won't just like stop um, sinning, which is going to be fantastic, but yeah. we will stop things like evangelizing. There's not going to be, the church will not be on mission in the new Jerusalem in the way that we are here. Uh, and I know that like all of the worship leaders think that eternity is just going to be this praise concert that never ends. And we're all just going to be singing hymns or worship tunes, depending on what your, your vein <laughs> of uh, worship music sure. is on that. Um, but what the Bible teachers think and I think we're right, uh, <laughs> is that sure, there will be some of that, but that a lot of what eternity represents for us is to have unlimited time to learn with ever-increasing awareness the infinite goodness of our God. Like, we will have no constraints on that. And so I just look at this gift that we have now, and I think this is an opportunity to begin an eternal work, like a work that will extend beyond my lifetime and into eternity. And I don't want to wait for that. I want to know as much as I can now because this is the wilderness time. You know, this is the time when we are wandering and things are hard. 
Um, sin does cloud what we can see of God. And so I want my vision to be as clear as possible in the wilderness. I don't want to repeat the mistakes of Israel. I want to be someone who follows God faithfully. And, and this is it. This is our pillar of fire and pillar of smoke. This is our burning bush. That's such a beautiful reminder. I mean, it's easy for me to think of, I need to do Bible study now, mm -hmm. just for the here mm -hmm. and now. Mm -hmm. And so keeping that eternal perspective is so helpful and mm -hmm. really shapes really how I come to the Bible mm -hmm. as a whole, just mm -hmm. all the time. So mm -hmm. thanks for that. That's really awesome. So thinking of that, keeping that in mind, what should the ultimate goal of our Bible study be? Or what should the goal of Bible study want to lead us to? Yeah, I think it's communion. I think it's one, and I don't mean taking communion. Yeah, right. being in <laughs> yeah. communion with the God of the universe um, and thereby with his people. You know, it's, it's understanding the person who has set his love on us and then insofar as a limited human is able, setting our love on him, our affection on him. And again, you know, when we think about loving God, we have such a limited understanding of what love means uh, just from a cultural standpoint. Um, we, we, we use the word love in so many frivolous ways. Right. Um, but for it to be that determined act of the will that we see in the scriptures, it makes sense that if agape love is a determined act of the will, that there would be some degree of discipline in executing it. Yeah. And so um, when I think about how I feel toward God, we don't always feel as we ought toward right. him. We do look at the way that we see things playing out around us, and we do ask questions about his character. We, we question his character. We pl place him on trial. And I think the Lord is patient with us as we grow in maturity on that. But I'll tell you what, I want to grow in maturity on that. Yeah. I want to be the person who sees God clearly for who he is and so far as it's possible um, for me. I do want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and I'm going to see it right here. I think we try to strain our eyes forward and say, how is this all going to work out? And I think that what the Bible is saying is look over your shoulder at the faithfulness of God to all generations. Yeah. So that will be the work of a life time. But I think like, what would it be like if we've been there 10,000 years, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to borrow that phrase, and I am able to reflect back on something that I learned about God that was true when I was in the wilderness, mm -hmm. when I was in this lifetime, and that 10,000 years later, I know it even more deeply, but yeah. I can point to that time and say, yeah, I learned that then. Yeah. And look how it's grown. And I think Think how your joy would just multiply oh, yeah. over millennia if that's what's waiting for us. Yeah, so, that's amazing. Yeah, let's let's start now. So one of the things that we are hoping to help women do in this mm -hmm. is connect Bible study to both our hearts and our minds. Right. Can you just reiterate a little bit the connection between how we do Bible study, how we love the Lord with both our hearts and our minds? Yeah, so it is definitely a both and, but there is a little bit of an ordering to it. Um, one of the ways I've tried to make this clear is by pointing out that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so um, I think that a lot of us are saying, oh, I love God, I love God, I love God, but we don't actually know him very deeply. Yeah. We know some introductory things about him. We know he's merciful and we know he's gracious. Many of us have never made meditation on the fact that he's omniscient or omnipotent and what that should stir in us and how it should inform our love for him. And so, again, if I don't have any knowledge of an omniscient God, if I haven't really spent any time um, growing in my knowledge of that, then it makes sense that I would not be able to attach any affections to that. 
And so if we want to feel deeply about God, and I do, I want everyone everywhere to feel deeply about God. But if we want to feel deeply about God, then we must learn to think deeply about God. Um, we see in the scriptures all of these references to meditating on who God is. And we live in a non-meditative age. We live in an age that is changing the channel or scrolling the screen every few seconds. Yep. So we're being invited into a practice, a discipline, a way of being that is ancient and that is foundational and it will require something of us, but it will also yield up so much rich benefit. That's such a beautiful vision and something to keep in mind and really transformative of the mm -hmm. way that we view Bible study and more than just doing it for the day, mm -hmm. doing it to get our homework done. I mean, really the Lord is inviting us into something now that we'll also experience with him in eternity, like mm -hmm. you were saying. So what encouragement do you have for when, you know, it's one thing to listen to a podcast mm -hmm. to be like, yes, that that is how I want to approach my Bible right. every single time I come to the Bible. Right. But if it starts to kind of, it's easy to kind of slide back into this, okay, I just got to like do it to get yeah. it done. Yeah. So what encouragement would you have if it start if I kind of start to lose this the vision that I have of of how beautiful Bible study is, of how it points us to the Lord, of how mm -hmm. it ultimately brings us into communion with him and it starts to become just something else that I check off a list. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we definitely need some fellow journeyers. I think we yeah. need some people who we're going to do this with. Um, but I think it's also good to sort of keep an account. You know, um, people talk about prayer journals all the time, mm -hmm. and I have some interest in them, but not always in the way that they're discussed. I don't want to keep a prayer journal where all I'm doing is asking God to do things and then checking off if he does them, unless what I'm asking him to do is about character formation. Mm -hmm. I would love to keep a prayer journal where I am reading in the scriptures and I say, Lord, today I saw that selfishness is still harbored in my heart. Will you make me more selfless? Will you give me people in my life to whom I can demonstrate selflessness, maybe even before I feel it? And then I'd love to come back a year later and read that and see where the Lord has done that work. I would love to put a check mark next to something like that. Not because I'm not selfish anymore, yeah. but because the Lord is doing an expansive work in a place that was constricted before. And so I do think that that is one of the ways that we learn to cultivate a love for the scriptures that is ultimately, ultimately a love for God. It's because we're trusting that his word will do what it says it will do, that it will have a transformative effect on us. And then we're expectantly watching for it to do exactly that. And that we take time to give thanks when it does, to express gratitude and then to say, do it again, Lord. So maybe personally, can you share just an example or two of a way in which studying the Bible has really just transformed your life as a worshiper of God? Yeah, um, I'll just give a really simple example. It's a familiar story that I think uh, probably everyone listening to this or watching this would know. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And um, even the setup for it, you know, you've got the guy who says, um, you know, which of the commands is most important. And Jesus says the great commandment, like we would expect him to. And even this guy probably would have expected him to. But, it, you know, it finishes with love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then this guy, it says the the damning phrase for me, as he says, and he's seeking to justify himself, mm -hmm. said, who then is my neighbor? Mm -hmm. And 
I have just been hit with that over and over again because Jesus doesn't respond by telling him who his neighbor is. He responds by telling a story about what, what it means to be neighborly to people who hate you. Yeah. And he's ultimately telling a story about himself. You know, he's the good Samaritan. He's the one who goes and finds me, the person who is in the ditch as good as dead, who would have fought him off with all the energy I had if I were not unconscious in the ditch. Because yeah. he's he's the one who I reject, you know. Uh, and And so hearing that story and having it hit me just at the visceral level and realizing I do this. Mm -hmm. I want to say this person is the one that I'm going to love, but this person I'm not obligated to love. And then you see that Christ came to those who rejected him, not those who received him. And you begin to realize that your basis for who you call your neighbor has everything to do with what's in it for you and nothing to do with um, a self, a level of self-forgetfulness mm -hmm. and self-giving um, that we just, we don't do normally. And again, like, you know, sin feels more natural than holiness. Right, right. So it's both a deeply convicting story from the standpoint that it makes us ask the question, points all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel, right? Where Cain says, yeah. am I my brother's keeper? Right. And the answer is yes. Yeah. You know, and I just, but but you don't understand why it's yes until you understand that Christ our brother has gone before us in the work. And so I just go back to that again and again. And I think if I hadn't taken hours and weeks and years, I've known the story of the Good Samaritan since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it didn't yield that up to me for 20 years. But then you can't, you can't unlive that. You know, you can't right. think about your neighbor the same way ever again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just one example. Uh, where really it's, you know, it's always um, this mix of deep conviction, but mm -hmm. also this beatific vision of what it really means to be a Christ follower mm -hmm. and asking, could it really be that beautiful? Yeah. And then walking toward it. Yeah. So going back just talking about your book, Women mm -hmm. of the Word. It's been out for almost a decade now, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And it sold over half a million copies, yeah. which is just unreal. Yeah. Did you have any idea when you wrote it that it would receive <laughs> that type of attention, that we'd be here now talking about it with half a million women having read it? No, I, I, I remember um, I actually had an idea to write a different book. And um, Crossway was like, well, we really think you should write this one. And I was like, okay, I'll write it. But like, maybe my family is going to buy this book and read it because, you know, I was just doing ministry in the local church and I was seeing something in my context and I suspected it was something that was elsewhere, but I didn't know. I just suspected that it was. And so, and then when the book released, it didn't immediately gain traction. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, yep, I was right. Thank you, family, <laughs> for buying your copies. And I felt the satisfaction of having gotten the thoughts down. I felt the satisfaction of thinking, you know, at least I have this thing that I can use. Not at least. I mean, this would have been a big thing that I can give to the women who are doing my local study and say, here, read this. This is what we're, this is what we're about. This is what we're going to yeah. be doing every week. And then um, to see it just suddenly start to pick up traction yeah. and then to hear the conversations start to swell around it. And I remember thinking, I think I'm right. 
I think this is something that's out there. Mm -hmm. I think that this is something that's not just in my church. Yeah. And um, and it started among women, of course, because the book is called Women yes. of the Word. And you know, I, people ask me all the time, they're like, well, why didn't you call it People of the Word? I don't actually want to apologize for that because I do think that at the time that the book was written, the need for this was more pronounced in female circles than it was outside of them. Although I'm sure anyone who's read it knows it's it's a book that can be for either men right. or for, for women. Yeah. And so that also has been gratifying is to see the messaging take hold in local churches, to hear from women who are like, we started this yeah. and it just grew and grew and grew. And now we're doing entire books of the Bible from start to finish. We're going Old Testament, New Testament every other year. And, you know, now we have men's groups that are doing it and we have men and women who are studying together and, um, and so many women who have taken this and gone through it, like with their leadership team and worked through all the questions together and said, wait, we need to reorient. Mm -hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to shut down whatever else is going on, but man, we want to carve out a space for this because we want our people to be familiar, to be familiar with their sacred yeah. text. We're staking our lives on it. Yeah. But no, I, I thought my mom would read it. Yeah. Uh, out of obligation. So I'm, yeah. I'm just so, so thrilled that it's, um, that it's been helpful and helpful in a way that hopefully will, will transmit, you know, from, from one room to the next and from one living room to the next and, um, where, you know, we should, we shouldn't feel like we don't have access to this book. We live in a time of unprecedented access in terms of just right. having access to it. We shouldn't feel intimidated by it. Um, we should feel like it's our book. Is that, you think, the main message that you want people to take away from your book? Or what else would you hope people that are reading your book, listening to the podcast, if they take one thing away, what would you hope that they, they take back with them? Yeah, if you can read, you can read your Bible. Yeah. Uh, now, you need to have some good structure for it, but that's not hard. That's yeah. something that you can pick up um, and make a start. Make a start at it. Uh, take it for a spin. You know, I'm like, you may not think there's any value in it at the outset, but take it for a spin and see if it doesn't completely alter the way that you think, not just about this book, but the way you think about God um, and the way you think about your neighbor. So if there is anybody still who's listening to this and is hesitant at all for any reason about diving in to, to learning their Bibles more, to learning about Jesus more, what encouragement would you, ha would you have for people or of any hesitations that they might have left? Mm -hmm. I would say um, find some friends who are maybe sensing some of the same things. Like I'm assuming that if you listen to this and you got this far, you're probably not technically on the fence. You're yeah, curious right. <laughs> enough that you're like, oh, I might to give it a try. So I would say gather a group of friends read the book together, talk about, you know, do some reflection on how you have been doing things and how you'd like to do things going forward. And then pick a book of the Bible and try the method together, go through it and see how it changes the way that you all think about things together. And then, yeah, you can go ahead and give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but maybe you'll send me an email and tell me that you started something at yes. your church that's changing the culture there. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So since the book has come out, you mentioned that you've seen some really positive shifts mm -hmm. in Bible literacy. What are some examples of the things that you've been encouraged by or you've seen some improvement in since the book has come out? Yeah, I'm starting to see more um, thought level resourcing that's happening for women. And that's not just around Bible literacy. That's also around theological literacy as well. 
um, seeing some blurring of the lines between seminary and local church for women who maybe perhaps had not perceived themselves as recipients of that kind of um, an education. And I think another shift that I've seen is the way that female communicators are teaching the scriptures. Um, it used to be heavily story-driven. It was dependent on me drawing you into my life and my story before I had credibility to teach the scriptures to you. And while I don't want to dismiss the importance of our stories as they relate to what we're teaching, it was almost like it was an unbreakable formula that you had to exist by. And um, it didn't hurt also if you also played an instrument or sang, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so now I notice that there are more spaces for women to just teach the scriptures and utilize rhetorical devices as appropriate, but not have the rhetorical device potentially overwhelm the teaching itself. That's actually been a huge freedom factor for me because I don't know that my story is particularly compelling. And I remember thinking at one point, well, if I don't have a compelling story, who will ever listen to me teach the scriptures? And it turns out that this is a compelling story <laughs> and that we all have uh, ways that we've related to this that are helpful for others to hear. So I think there is a greater freedom from women who are teaching from platforms to model something that wasn't being modeled very much 10 years ago. But then I think that there are also a generation of women who uh, did not grow up with some of the same messaging that perhaps an older generation of women did. And so they are more eager or ready to say, oh, I know what it means to be a student. I know what it is to master the content of something. I just did that in college or in uh, you know whatever my level of education is. And what if I did just keep doing that with the scriptures? And so um, it's exciting to see a younger generation of women understand what thought level looks like um, and understand that thought level conversations are valuable both within all female circles and in, in, in mixed gender circles as well, that we're all sharpened by each other. So yeah, those are just a few of the things that I've seen. Um, and just a return to, you know, another interesting development has been with the rise of popularity of audiobooks is that listening to the Bible has sort of become a thing again yeah, where right. it wasn't for a long time. And that's a very encouraging trend that relates to this because if you think about it, for the vast majority of history, the only relationship that a person of faith would have had with the scriptures would have been listening to someone else read it. Yeah. So I think that's a very interesting rediscovery oh, yeah. of something that could have a big impact on how we understand the Bible. And it kind of helps too with one of maybe the biggest barriers uh, to getting into the Bible is not having enough time mm -hmm. while you can turn on an audio That's version right. of the Bible when you're doing chores or Just doing about anything. Yeah, mm -hmm. driving, mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of barriers, I know we talked about some yeah. that we can overcome. Right. You know, we can look at how we can manage our time better mm -hmm. or we can uh, adopt better practices for our the time that we do have in the word. Mm -hmm. Do you see any potential barriers in the church that could be that could threaten the state of Bible literacy moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that we are dealing with information overload. And so people get the sense that they can't ever possibly arrive at any 
truthful conclusion because there are 1 million conclusions that you could draw based on the number of blog posts or whatever that you can read. You can read a million people's opinions on something and not know how thought out one is compared to the other, which is why I think historic sources are going to matter more than ever as we move forward. You're going to want to look to voices that have been trusted for years, hundreds of years in some cases, to sort of level yourself out. Um, and you're going to have to curate opinions versus proliferate opinions. You're going to have to have good guides and you're going to need help to find them. Um, and then I think, you know, it's no secret to anyone that we live in a time where everyone is yelling at each other yeah. about every single thing. And in the church, what this can look like is what has been described by other people as the fundamentalist impulse, um, which is to make everything a first order issue. Um, everything is a test of orthodoxy and the way that you justify whether some, someone's belief is orthodox or not is by pulling verses out of here and attaching them to your ideas in a way that, you know, people either can or cannot recognize as being accurate. And, um, so, you know, the Bible is clear. But we are humans, which means we don't always have perfect clarity on what it says. And so I do think that one of the obstacles we'll have moving forward is developing some level of discernment around what are things that are worth dying for, what are things that are worth fighting for, or what are things that are worth just discussing. And some of us just haven't had the opportunity to think about those things, but we will, we will need that in our tool belt because... Um, you know, the church of God is going through a clarifying time, which from the outside will look as though it is shrinking. But what we're really seeing is the true church revealed. And the true church is going to need to be defined by what we share. And um, so that's going to mean we're all going to need to be able to think well about what's in here. And I think over the past 10 weeks, we've really dived into some really helpful tools and practices mm -hmm. that can help move people to a place of dialogue. Can you give some examples of of how these tools can help us get there, get to a place of dialogue. Yeah, I think that what these tools are intending to do, again, it's not just giving you information or telling you what to think. These tools intend to help teach you how to think. So you're doing, never do for your student what they can do for themselves, yeah. right? I don't need to tell you what to think. I'm gonna show you how to read this passage so that then you can develop your own thinking based on the meaning that the author has placed there. And so, um, I think that what the tools are going to do is they're going to invite people out of a space of just saying, well, I just feel like mm -hmm. fill in the blank right. uh, into a space of saying, well, I think what I'm seeing here is this. What do you think? Which is a different way of talking about things. Yeah. We, we should talk about our feelings, um, but, but we divide over our feelings more often than we divide over our thoughts or our feelings so overwhelm our thinking that we're not able to discern where the line was crossed. Yeah. And it's a very different thing to have a thought level discussion with someone in which you're not seeing eye to eye than it is to have a feelings fraught discussion with someone where you've lost a sense of where you're missing each other. So I do hope that one of the things that comes out of this is civil discourse within the church because mm -hmm. we have respect for each other's developing sense of what the text is saying and we're all doing our best to submit ourselves to the authority of teachers who are further along the path than we are. And hopefully people too can feel confident moving forward if they looked at the Bible as something like I just don't even know where to begin, mm -hmm. don't really know how to do this for myself, that not only they can engage in dialogue with other people as they grow in, in their knowledge of the word, but that they can feel confident to go to the word, to test it for themselves, to know what it says 
and to be able to figure that out on their own. That's right. And they've got plenty of time, you know? I mean, I hope that's something that everybody's going to take away from this is think about if you were, this is maybe a bad metaphor, but let's say that you were listening to the episode where we talked about some of the less helpful ways of encountering the scriptures and you were beginning to realize, oh, I don't think I actually would pass a pop quiz (laughs) over the Bible. Um, what you're learning is, oh, I'm at a second grade level on this, but someday I want to be a 12th grader. Well, there's no shame in starting with second grade instruction so that you eventually become a 12th grader. You wouldn't start with 12th grade instruction, right? Right. And so I think that the biggest message in all of this is it does not matter where you are currently. We all can take up these tools and move further along the path of understanding together uh, in, in Christian charity. Yeah, it's a process. That's it's right. a process. That's right. So and we just want to help people start from wherever they are and mm-hmm. continue to to keep going. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jen, I so appreciate you just taking the time to talk with me about these things. It's been so fun to just dive into your book and Bible study methods and processes and hopefully uh, point people to to the Lord and just reminding them that they can love the the God of the Bible and they can learn Uh, more about him, both with their hearts and with their minds. Mm -hmm. So as we close today, can you just pray for us today as we close our time together uh, that we can take what we've learned and heard today and apply it to our lives? I would love to. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you chose to disclose yourself to us. Lord, you could have just done it in sunsets or in rainbows or in the Grand Canyon or in a tall mountain. And you have done that, but you've done more than that. You have given us a depiction of your character that's drawn in fine tip pen between the pages of scripture. And so we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to fall deeper and deeper in love with that, that we would want to see you clearly, that we would want to know you as well as we can with our human faculties limited as they are but these faculties that were created for that very purpose. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would invite us back into that relationship that we were built for in Eden, back into that relationship that we will one day know perfectly in the new Jerusalem, that you would show your glory to us, that we would see it in the land of the living, and that we would walk as those who are being conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, We pray this for the community of believers that we would be built up and strengthened by knowing our sacred text better. But we also pray it knowing that the unbeliever will never pick up the scriptures with any degree of interest, that they would first see what's interesting about them in the way that we are living out those truths in our lives as your representatives and as those who want to look like your son. So we pray, Lord, that your word would form us. We pray that it would conform us. We pray that we would be so drawn into the beautiful vision of who you are that our time would look like it in the way that we spend time in the word, that our energy would reflect how diligently we want to be workers who are unashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth not so that we can simply be smart or better educated, but so that we can be who you created us to be. And we ask these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Jen.
Thanks for joining us today. As you continue to study the Bible, I wanted to recommend a great resource to go with your daily time in the Word called New Morning Mercies, a daily gospel devotional. If I could only have one devotional book alongside my Bible, it would be New Morning Mercies. This devotional has helped thousands of people for almost a decade to trust God and rely on His grace each and every day. You can grab a copy today by following the link in the show notes.